Konnichiwa. It's Zach Langley Chichi. I'm so popular. Today is the fourth installment of Chichi no Book Club, a rollicking chance to romp through the beauties of literature, exclusive only to members of the Patreon. So if you'd like to join us next time, you can join us at patreon.com slash I'm so popular. Find us in the Discord where we organize the book club. It's been quite a while, but we are back and uh, with probably the sunniest and most joyful installment of the book club so far with a discussion of Elliot Rogers' My Twisted World from 2014. And I'm joined by two friends today. Who are you? Um, hello, hello. my name is May. <laughs> Welcome back, May. My name is Dean. Hi, Dean. Well, it's nice and cozy and intimate. To be honest, I like doing these with a limited number of people. But May, you were the one who wanted to read My Twisted World. So please fill us in on your relationship um, with this hulking text. Well, okay. So when you asked us to submit like books or like our subject our suggestions for the book club, that was maybe like this is like over a year ago, gosh. But mm-hmm. anyways. At the time, my like thought process was like, okay, what is a book that I've read that's like short and easy to read, that's like sufficiently Chichian for the book club, <laughs> but that Zach has like not literally like recommended to me, you know? Um, and that's what I came up with. That was the only thing I could think of. So here we are. Um also, uh, his birthday is one day after mine. Um, he's July 24th, I'm July 23rd. Zach, don't you have, like, a thing about July Leos? I love July Leos. Yeah. Well, I think, like, this, like, actually proves that it's, like, wrong. Because, like, what is, like, a single thing that the three of us have in common, you know? (laughs) Astrology's (laughs) over, apparently. Um, Well, to be honest, I do kind of... Oh, go ahead, Dean. Oh, uh, I'm uh, almost a July Leo. Like, early August. And um, I, I don't know. There are some things that I think I have had in common with Elliot Roger. Well, I'm glad you're joining because I did think of you a few times reading this, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess if I was to say if I have anything in common with him, it's that this is going to sound horrible, but I do find him to be kind of cute in a way, but that's probably not what you're supposed to take away from this reading experience. Um, I, I found him to be cute as though if I imagine him as like a British child, I think he should have never left the UK and should have kept and should have never gotten older or something. If I can, I can hear these like horrible things he says sometimes in like a small, like verse child voice. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of adorable. <laughs> so mate, when did you first read this and what struck you about um, it? I, I don't know. I like read it as like an edgy teenager, <laughs> just like <laughs> reading edgy things on the internet. Uh, and uh, I, I I read it. I read this text back to back with my year of rest and relaxation. Oh Kissing my god! Buffet. Incredible. Uh, like over the course of like two days, they're literally the same book, like the boy version and the girl version. Yes. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I was just like so like horrified and like entranced, and I don't know. I felt like a like a pall had been cast over my life. And also I felt like just like everybody is like wrong about it, you know, Um, because it is like such like a meme. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I just like I just like felt so cursed by it that I like needed to pass the curse on to other people. 
it is a curse and the experience of reading it um i'm not sure how you read it but i did read it on the strange website like doc what, what is it called it's like documentcloud.org where it is like ominously uploaded as like a 2007 like word document in calibri font single spaced like letter sized paper and the act of having this up in a really ugly gray window definitely made my life feel like a torpor and i was just like reading this um on a too bright white computer screen and it made me like dizzy and anxious so it's a very unique aesthetic experience for sure yeah i love like the the just like nothing like like school paper like formatting of it it like makes it all the more horrifying yeah no grandiosity whatsoever i was like oh i wonder if there's like a printed version of this on amazon or if i should like put it on my kindle but for That's once crazy. like the scary pdf <laughs> is the right way to read it <laughs> once you're like an established author and like have your own like publishing house you can like do like the the beautiful like elegant art like, pressing <laughs> my twisted world <laughs> yeah dean how did you feel reading this i remember so i read it in the past and there are some audio like amateur audio books available from like fans or that's great uh, maybe from content fans. creators <laughs> yeah content creators want to you know get some attention or mm -hmm. off of you know the great story of Ellie Roger, and uh, so I remember I took like three nights reading it, and it's also <laughs> it was a while, like years that I hadn't read a book. At that point, it was um maybe uh, a few years after the, the um, murder murders themselves. It was like twenty seventeen or something, and I was just listening to some. Uh, like instrumental music on repeat. It was, and yeah, I don't know. I guess it. I, I was just trying to get through it because I didn't like the writing style. Yeah, to kind of introduce what this is in the first place, this is the quote manifesto unquote by the um perpetrator of the two thousand first thirteen um Isla Vista shootings, I believe, or what they're called. Um, and he printed out a copy of it and left it in his car um, when he committed the shootings in question and emailed um, a copy of the text to, I think, I think like some 30 people, including some teachers, uh, his family. And it's less of a manifesto in the way you might imagine something like Mein Kampf um, or any like political text. And it is kind of this strange bloggy kind of autobiography and mm -hmm. it's done in a very plain voice um mr roger is not really a compelling prose stylist um, but he does have a sense of flourish and narrative postulation about himself so the entire text is this uncanny autobiography and self-portrait that i have never read anything like it I can't think of a single reading experience that is similar to this at all. And it's in turn mundane and trite and frustrating and weepy. And it never really reaches those heights of uh, grand world changing extremity. And a lot of it is just like these 
gross, uncomfortable textural details about his upbringing in Southern California. Um, May, what do you make of like the style and voice of this? Yeah, it's like really like sophomoric and annoying. Um, <laughs> sorry for like putting you guys through this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because like people will like say that he's like a good writer or something. Mm -mm. And I've always like, found that like insanely like baffling. He's um, certainly not. Yeah. I love the. Uh, so there are moments when he just sounds like a cartoon villain. I've, <laughs> I mean, I've always referred to it as a memoir instead of a manifesto it doesn't i don't because it's he has you know these manifesto moments but they're not um it's not like the whole text mm -hmm. yeah i think that's definitely the case i think what i found most compelling is like the cultural detritus that just hovers around the book like trash in space and there's all of these like details of his like life in california between like playing with Beanie Babies and going to Valsurf and, like, the release of the PlayStation 2, uh, listening to Time of Your Life at his elementary school graduation, <laughs> a pack son, um, a little puppy named Lucky, um, the premiere of Revenge of the Sith, um, being extremely moved by Avatar The Last Airbender and walking an hour to Best Buy to go get the... Wrath of the Lich King World of Warcraft expansion. Um, movies called Alpha Dog. <clears throat> I'm like really fascinated by like the nasty trash compactor element of like um early 2000s and late 90s pop culture that just seems so haunted and disgusting here. Yeah, exactly. I, that this is like one thing that I didn't find really compelling is like the like suburban, like American malaise, like Twin Peaks: The Return mm -hmm. setting of all this. Um, did either of you two watch the videos? I watched the yeah. <clears throat> the big last one, the beautiful one with the Starbucks latte and the Tati Westbrook lighting. <laughs> yeah, that's the um, only one I've ever seen, though. No, you should watch all of them. Uh, because they're not like him ranting; it's just like him like going on like drives through. Like gorgeous Ala Vista like, with like chintzy eighties pop music playing. Right. Like, it's very Houston just like blasting on the radio. Like the first one is just like yeah. a shot of the sun setting into the ocean while uh once that's like Heaven is a place on earth or whatever the song is called by Belinda Carlisle, just like blasting <laughs> in the background. Just, We've like, ever seen uh well, of course many people have seen this movie, but American Psycho. I like I watched that movie after experiencing the whole Elliot stuff, and it felt like, um, like a whole. While watching that movie, felt like a codex to understanding like a lot more about American culture. But I knew that if I had watched the movie and then I saw the Elliot Roger thing, I would be immediately drawing associations, and that's probably something that a lot of people did because uh, there's that moment where he's like talking about um music to his uh like coworker or whatever. And uh, so it's almost funny how Patrick Bateman-esque he is unintentionally because he never, of course, mentions in the book and he would if he saw that movie. Well, he, he reminds me a lot of um, Less Than Zero just because of precisely what May is describing with this like uh, sunset lit 80s pop music driving like around Southern California. And 
it's really funny because despite his extraordinary lack of literary talent at all, you can occasionally feel him reaching for the sublime when he's going on these countless walks around the ocean or like driving around listening to music at night. And there is like that, like you said, Twin Peaks of Return quality where it is like the totality of America and its potential for grandeur just like reduced to shallow trash. Mm. Yay. <laughs> I was like, I'm really curious about these videos now because I was really struck by that image of him with the latte. Um, this is something I was thinking about too, because I feel like a lot of school shooters and uh, perpetrators of mass violence, they do kind of acquire this legendary tenor when we look back at them. I think the two Columbine killers are very much like seated in history now and have like a whole aesthetic and sort of like visual palette that is identifiable mm -hmm. with them. But I feel like Elliot Roger didn't really accomplish that. And he's kind of like faded into the cultural noise. But do you agree with that? Or do you think there's like a reason why his legacy has turned out the way it has? I I do think about his Facebook photos and um, I think some of the outfits that he had while shooting the videos, but it's not something that you can really cosplay as like you could for the Columbine kids. Mm -hmm. What do you think, May? I don't know. Is that even true? I feel like Elliot Roger, like if you like ask somebody of my generation, I feel like they'd like be much more likely to like know who Elliot Roger is versus like who versus like like who like the Columbine shooters were. Maybe that's just like a time thing. It might be like, a time thinking, thing, like, yeah. Gosh, like I was like 10 years old when and all this happened. Yeah, crazy. I kept doing like the math in my head, like because I'm five years older than him. Or sorry, five years younger than him. So I was like kind of doing like the math in my head about when all of these things were happening. And I guess, you know, being younger when it would happen would make him more of a, a figure for like Zoomers. But he never really like stuck in my head. I, I don't know. There was like something impossible to me when the actual shootings happened about like visualizing him at the door of the sorority and like in the car and like driving over curbs and like hitting people it just like didn't like gel in my head it seemed like fantasy you know i've never read a brought easton ellis novel which one should i start with i think you can honestly just start at the beginning and, and go that way is probably the best mm. and his his earlier novels are quite short so you don't have to spend much time and you can get like to american psycho and Glamorama like pretty quickly because his books just aren't very long. All right. Um, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, but if you like that kind of like sad driving around vibe, then you'll be right at home with the the Brett Easton Ellis books. Um some of the fixations of the text uh that appear quite early and then are never untethered for the rest of the duration, uh the concept of coolness in quotes. <laughs> Um, he's really obsessed with the idea of cool kids, cool girls, cool boys. Um, and I had never thought about this concept before um, because when I was a resentful middle school student, the kids that I thought were, quote, cool, unquote, I kind of just like had like a uh, angry dismissal of. 
Um, but he has like this whole strange and empty philosophy about them. I was wondering if either of you picked up on this uh, thread at all. Of course, uh, it shocked me how he would like chase trends and he would, um, there was this moment where he, he described how he dropped Pokemon for skating. Oh, yeah. And uh, it seemed like, it seemed like he had some interest that uh, he would have followed in a bubble, but because he saw that, I guess, cool kids weren't into it, like, uh, cool kids didn't get him into Avatar or World of Warcraft or anything, but he, he was just so. It and I guess he did take to skating very well, but I, I don't know. It was shocking how eager he was to chase friends, to assimilate, uh, even with people he resented. Mm hmm. What did you make of this, Mae? I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess, like on like the most basic level, I can like relate to being like an outsider as a child. But mm -hmm. I like had like the opposite reaction. I like had no interest in like the like social hierarchies of like my school as a kid. I don't know. I was like totally like oblivious to all that. Yeah, I remember if I found there was something that was like cool or whatever then i would honestly like have a contrarian impulse to not be into it and then talk about something much more obnoxious like battle royale or death note when i was in middle school <laughs> yeah so, precise, precisely the same yeah so i don't i don't relate to it but it was really interesting reading about his obsession with it because it kind of turns into this interesting like cultural like trash processor and like coolness is this like ritualized form in children of like mechanical natural selection that weeds out bad ideas or like things that aren't compelling anymore in favor of something else and it made me think of um elliot roger himself as like this functional bug in the establishment of multiculturalism it's like he's a glitch he's like a way that it didn't work and is this broken cog in the machine of everything and I was very interested in like him as like a symbol of like social failure um, because he has so much going for him. He has like a dad who works in the film industry. He has like um, a very loving and attentive mother. And it's I, it's tracking like where everything goes wrong is just so bizarre and inexplicable. Mm hmm. I found all the names in this so funny. I should have, like, written it down, but I didn't. Oh, they're really funny. What's the name of um his stepmom's... His stepmom? It's, like, Sojun or something like that? It's Sumaya, I think. It's Sumaya. Yeah, it's, like, Sumaya. And then, like, the all of, like, the, the black kids that he talk about have, like, comical <laughs> names. I think one of them is, like, literally named, like, Jonathan Radley or something like that. It's, like... What the yeah. hell is this world that he lives in? Yeah, for sure. Oh dear. When did you start realizing, I mean, in the in the text that this was all going wrong and he was going to like spiral into violence? Because my experience reading it was that like it didn't really suggest that it would happen. And even like the 
sudden stabs of paragraphs where he becomes misanthropic and extremely misogynistic. It's like, it feels so feigned and like acted out that I just couldn't really like buy that he was going to become this person. I don't know. Like, did you have a moment in the book where you like realized what was going to happen? I, uh, well, I think the first, uh, like, freak moment was when, I, I don't know about, like, yeah, if you're asking when he turned wrong, I, I mean, I remember I was sort of trying to, like, spot the singular point when, uh, I don't know, help, he became yeah. who he was as, as he was growing up. I could not find it. I think it was just kind of, um... It's just something he hasn't really mentioned in the book, how his brain is just different. And I, I wonder if, you know, as he, even as a child, if he spoke so weirdly about like inferiority and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess there was a, you know, there was like this first kind of freak moment um, when uh, I think all, everyone, he was at this party and a lot of people were having a great time. And then he started crying and so that he wished he could kill himself. Right. Yeah, that's definitely a pivotal scene, but because he has, like, this strange um, posturing of himself, like, it it's very brief and doesn't seem, like, that monumental in his life. Like, the way he selects uh, plot points on his life as climaxes is so random and trite. It does feel like an honest portrayal of a of a human brain attempting to make itself into a record because uh, so much stupid stuff and like little um, empty interactions, they like, take on this like cosmic meaning for him. But then like the scene of him uh, desperately wanting to kill himself because he can't handle the look of um, young people sexually active with each other and his total hopelessness at, at ever being, um, in leagues with them, you would think that would be this huge moment, but it comes across quite quickly. To be honest, I feel like he was doomed from the start. This is like the natural outcome of like all these like sort of like pseudo gifted kid, like upper class educational systems. Uh huh. But that's uh, interesting. It's like, it's like a was, disaster. Uh, of course, it's. I think the most, the first part is very boring like um from age one to five except but the one thing that you can gain from it is that he kept moving and mm -hmm. then his parents got divorced and they were like you know trading him from half to half which i don't know if it's probably a good thing to do but i don't know what do you think doomed him from the start may and turned him into this like bob orb um I, I don't know. I guess, like, my experience is, like, sort of, like, I guess, like, having gone to, like, similar, I, I feel like him and my, like, him and myself have had, like, similar, like, educational experiences, like, growing up. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, it was, like, not a great experience. I think, like, that's, that's, that's the problem, I think. Yeah, because his educational experience is pretty fucked up. Um, by the time he's in high school, he's um, so, like, he has that passage where he's talking about how in middle school, um, when he started getting into World of Warcraft, 
he started misbehaving on purpose in middle school to get any kind of attention. Um, and it turned him into like the weird, annoying kid, which I'm sure all American school children are familiar with at one point or another. Um, and it kind of like ruins his ability to socialize in high school. Um, and then he goes to this like bizarre homeschool adjacent like set of pods that I can't picture at all where he just like goes and studies for like, like three hours a day. And um, I really think if he had been left in high school to have like weathered the storm, it probably would have made him a more resilient person and like given him uh, more social tools. But I guess I'm not a psychoanalyst, so I'll never know. But you kind of did something similar, didn't you, May? Like you did like kind of like not a a normal high school thing. Well, I, I dropped out is what happened. Right. But you um, seem to have adjusted fine. So, <laughs> well, because I don't know, we have like different temperaments, I suppose. Yeah, you're not like a little boy who's like <laughs> a little boy who cannot, <laughs> like, I don't know. I was really frightened of um, his scenes describing the looming threat of puberty. This made me extremely uncomfortable to read. Yeah. When he describes having uh orgasm for the first time or masturbating, like <laughs> And it's so late. He's like like fifteen or something, right? Yeah, actually. I think it's like year fifteen when I he have it in my notes after he started high school. So Yeah. And I just have just visceral memories now of like when I was reading this on my lunch break at work and the scene of him grinding his dick against the mattress. Um, was really unsettling to me, and I, I literally exclaimed, "Yuck!" <laughs> and then I had to, like <laughs> put the book down for a minute, um, because I don't know. There was something so like tragic. Um, maybe it's just because of the way he writes about it. He's always like, uh, describing puberty and like the approach of sexual maturation is like very ominous and dark. Um, and so then when you have these like extended scenes of him talking about his masturbation habits, um or like grinding against the mattress, it does certainly feel like a seed of evil. Do you guys think that he's actually attracted to women? Okay. I like didn't buy it at all. I don't buy it at all because I was going to point this out. He has no fixations on, mm -hmm. he has no like sexual perversity about him. It's so generic and cardboard that it doesn't feel real at all. Um, he always relies on like the same set of three words, which is like hot naked girls is is like what he describes them. And I don't know what that means. He likes yeah. blonde hair and he, he likes, likes blonde tall hair. Women. Yeah. He likes tall I'm, blonde I'm, women. I'm exactly his type. <laughs> <laughs> he could have saved him. Um, but no, I think he's attracted to women because of the, like, you know, all the times that he describes like the physiological reaction he has to seeing naked women, but it seems so. Know. It seems so fake. I don't know. It's what, like what? What even is so attraction to women? Like I can't. My brain can't even comprehend. It. Okay. Yeah, to, yeah, to be fair, none of us here know what that is. What does it mean to be like aroused by a woman? Um, I've been thinking about this a little bit recently because like, sorry to bring up the worst topic of the week, um, but gooning is not, <laughs> sorry everyone, but that's like not a thing straight guys do, right? That's just like a gay person thing. 
No, they it's I they do it differently. What do they do? Um well I don't think they're so reflective about themselves, but like I was like a gay guy is like, oh I'm a fucking kids like that But um uh a gay guy will be like uh will think about how he looks while doing it, maybe. Okay. Or at least I mean that's just what I see because that's like the accounts that are on social media. Okay, yeah. Uh, on Twitter. Um I but I don't know. I guess I guess like straight guys have like the opposite the opposite uh pathology where they're like overly like guilt-ridden and like feel like i don't know it's some sort of like cosmic some sort of like cosmic crisis yeah i think that's definitely the case and i mean elliot rogers does say that he says um like after he has his first orgasm bucking against the mattress he's like i was in a like a stupor of guilt for four days and i didn't talk to anyone and like felt that i had just committed the most terrible cardinal sin um and i guess like to think about my own pathology i guess like i probably felt that way once or twice but um it's not really like a fixation but i think you're right that straight guys do have this like terrible guilt about orgasm for some reason but like what is it like i don't know is it just like feeling like they've like betrayed women somehow or is it that they've like wasted their seed do they feel bad after they have sex with women too or is it just when they jerk off i don't know these are really important questions that elliot roger has made me ponder in detail (laughs) hot naked girls (laughs) okay I am frightened, though, that there is, like, a beast of Elliot Roger that, like, lives in um, every straight man because it does seem that he is, like, this victim of of nature and um, unlike the adjusted heterosexual male, he's completely incapable of conquering nature and, like, completely submits to it in this, like, mealy, squirming, pathetic sort of way Um, and then developing a hatred out of it from there but yeah his sexual pathology is very interesting and i don't know what to make of it to be honest yeah i mean uh, something that sorry um, um but something that i did notice is that like in relation to his um sexuality is that he it takes until i don't know like one college class that where he actually describes having a singular woman that he liked Mm-hmm. I, like there's no uh, i think normally someone would have a crush on somebody but he he like doesn't really yeah it seems like all, all the women that he finds attractive are kind of like interchangeable and so he doesn't... yeah because there's that one girl that he was friends with as a child named maddie um who he encounters like later in life um in his like late teens when i think he's like 18 or 19 again and he specifically goes out of his way to say that he's not interested in her sexually for some reason sorry maybe what were you going to say earlier um i guess what i was gonna say is like because you know like i i've like uh, like in my like (laughs) dark experiences on the internet like i've like met like bona fide incels like obviously they're like not like elliot roger like the psychos but like it's like something that like does like happen to people i guess and it like always like m- makes me have this like weird feeling because it's like as as like a a non-virgin, I guess. 
like it's crazy i i always think it's like crazy that like me is like a like a a cocksucking transsexual like have like a higher sexual value than just like some generic but it's true because well i guess like you guys know this because i posted about it on the discord but like story time when i was sitting in a cafe earlier today like literally this like this like uh this old man like came up to me and like slid me a note like offering to be my sugar daddy like legitimately like that's how much i'm worth sexually and it's like so weird to think that like i'm like <laughs> so much like higher on the totem pole than just like the average straight guy i don't know i, I have no idea how to feel about that it, like makes me feel so weird it is weird. Um, and I think you've identified something really important that probably plays a lot into like the development of this insult identity for Mr. Roger, which is, I guess, like there's been this really strange turnabout in sexual value probably um, since like the sexual revolution. And we now have a world where women and um, those who play the role of a woman, and <laughs> no matter what path they take to do so um they now have like infinitely more sexual capital than uh, heterosexual men do and so we do have kind of this um like matriarchal sexual morass at the moment where um it's no longer about um a man like taking and establishing sex himself but rather um getting permission and uh acquiring it through like negotiation and acceptance on behalf of the female and so i guess when you think of it that way it is easy to imagine how many people could turn out uh into these like contemporary eunuchs basically where they like provide this like strange uh prescient not necessarily clear-eyed but certainly lucid view of the world that they then act out in ludicrous internet forums or in, in mass violence I mean, I suppose it's, like, worth pointing out that, like, at no point in the narrative does Elliot Roger, like, ever, like, ask anyone out. Like, he no. just, like, sits there and, like, expects. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's, like, sort of, like, <laughs> the the other side of that is, like, I don't know. It's, like, uh, he, he, like, does, like, feel very, very entitled in a sense. Yeah, and things that will just like happen to him. I watched a few of those demented like makeup videos where they like recount horrific acts of like violence, rape, and murder while they're like doing while they're beating their face on YouTube, <laughs> and they had like a very like condemning um take on him being like. And then his mom had to move into an apartment, and he was so mad. I'm like, he's like a 12 year old boy at the time. I'm like, whatever. But um, I think you're very right about the um entitlement. But at the same time, like, I don't know what to tell him because it's like, I don't know what advice to give straight men who are like having trouble getting laid um, because it's like he doesn't socialize with women very often except like through friends of family and then like just like staring at them in class or encountering them in public. But I guess his imagination is that they're just supposed to come up to him and like ask him. But I don't know what yeah. I would tell him or how I would help him. Yeah, I don't know. Dean, you have just... some experience with this kind of person. What do you think should be Wait. done? I'm sorry. Um, I think I would try and give him a sort of that, like, work at a game plan. Uh huh. From like a strat, like how is he going to initiate a conversation with somebody? 
Do straight people still meet each other at bars? None I, of us know. It's just, well, is it yeah, just it's Tinder and Bumble? Is that it now? I mean, okay, so he uh, did all this and like he died in 2014. I think Tinder mm -hmm. took off 2014. So he kind of uh, like he could have gotten on the apps, but I, I otherwise he would have been stuck with, like okay Cupid. Oh dear. Oh yucky. <laughs> oh god. Um, I'm just thinking now about like the incels that I have encountered in my experience on the internet, and it's funny because they do appear and totemize themselves as like that eunuch I mentioned earlier. Um, no matter what sort of like internet world you're in, um, there's been a few notorious ones in the I'm So Popular Discord in the past. Um, wait, who? Was I privy to this? Or yes. I guess, actually, wait, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, why, I, I figured did it, it like, didn't need why did it, why did it even? Why did it even take more than two seconds? <laughs> well, um, he's been gone for a while. Um, rest in peace, I guess, mm -hmm. and whatever... Um, space he's inhabiting now i don't know but they're not they're not all like that i've like met like some like insults where i'm like this is like really depressing you're like such a nice guy um but maybe that's like not the norm i guess but they probably the, the ones who are actually like good people that you like respect or are rooting for are usually the kind who end up winning at the end of the day right I hope so. I hope so, too. It's very frightening to talk about this kind of thing, because um, I guess the other prescription I had for him would just be to hire a hooker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what um, Japanese people used to do and still continue to do if they're virgins for too long. So I was just like, why not? That, and well, that he does of, uh -huh. mention that in the book. He's just like, uh, if I had to pay for what? Uh, other men got for free. I would be so impure or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that's yeah, another, common, like, why point not? That, yeah, another point that it's like not about that. It's like not about the women for him. It's about like competing with other men. I feel like uh, I feel like the director Sean Sono is like a master of like portraying this for women. How like like sex for them is like not about like attaining the man, but it's about like competing with other women like mm -hmm. guilty of romance is like a perfect portrayal of this and like also like anti-porno i think totally um, but this is like the, this is like the male version of that i think this is like the ultimate curse of heterosexuality is that they can like never feel like an, an authentic desire because it is like always like wrapped up in this sort of like homosocial competition oh one sec i just got a, a new bottle of perfume that's coming in the mail and the postman's here right Right. What is that? Or is not back yet? Sorry. Please continue. What what's the perfume? Um, my bottle of aromatics elixir broke last week, and so I've got mm, another tragic. one. <laughs> I broke in my backpack. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I like um... dropped my backpack on the train and the bottle shattered. And now my bag just like <laughs> smells of it forever. And I don't know what to do because it's like my best backpack that I use for work every day. And it just reeks like a bomb. Mm -hmm. That is so unfortunate. I don't know. I like never carry perfume around with me because I like always have to have my like little like vintage coach leather purse that doesn't fit a perfume bottle in it. Okay, let me go get the 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 
here he is. I'll be right back in a moment. There was a part when he mentioned he's doing like Beanie Baby fantasy panels with his friend. Did you catch mm -hmm. that? Oh, wait, how long has it been since you read it? Like, did you refresh yourself? Me? Uh, admittedly, no. I was like, even though I was the one who suggested it, I was like not in the mood to read it at all. Okay, so, hi again. I'm, like, going off of, off of memory. Hello. We've um, so sorry, what were we talking about before I had to so rudely um acquire more perfume? Uh nothing. Um Oh, you were talking about the curse of heterosexuality and how it's yeah. like it's like this thing that is so watered down with imagery and society and like power structures that like authentic desire or, is like really abstracted. Or just like how like like the 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 goal is like is like you can't you can't like authentically desire the opposite sex like in and of itself mm -hmm. it has to be like this competition between like members of the same gender uh where it's like a like a like power thing for like 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 acquiring you know like access to like members of the opposite sex is like a way to like climb up like the social rankings among among like members of your own gender Mm. Um, and I was like saying how like this is like a huge theme in Sion Sono movies, but like with women and like how women will like use their like access to men to like compete with each other. But this is like the male version where like he, he like can't like feel an authentic desire for the women in and of themselves. They're just like interchangeable, like blonde bimbos to him. He like doesn't even care. It's like all about like climbing the male social hierarchy and like like impressing like other guys and like being like one of the cool guys you know who like has mm -hmm. access to this and it's like all it's all about his jealousy of the men it's not about his like attraction to women it's about his like jealousy of like other guys um and i think like that's like the ultimate curse of heterosexuality is like is that you do have this like or maybe it's like the same thing for gays where you like have this like social hierarchy about like how much how much you can acquire and it like all becomes like very like transactional and like marketized and like just like about like acquiring products that are like in the form of people. I don't know. I think there's definitely an element to that, but I also think um probably homosexuals have like more um likelihood to experience authentic desire that is because it's like so removed from uh the way society functions that it is kind of its own thing that although there's lots of um like competition and uh that kind of thing engineered there is also like more opportunity for it to be genuine and, and true and beautiful yeah. you have but, to develop it in a bubble yeah you have to hide it when you're when you're developing it and you're right may that it is all about like jealousy and power and everything it's like almost never about like real um like lust or anything in, inside of him and one of the scenes that really disturbed me the most i wrote down the whole paragraph in my notebook because it was very unsettling to me is um one of the detritus that i mentioned earlier about his like dumb things that he does that like make the texture of the book is this um place called um planet cyber which i'm obsessed with it's like an early 2000s internet cafe that he would go to every friday with his few friends um, before they all abandoned him. 
Uh, and he That's wrote, crazy. one time, while I was alone at Planet Cyber, I saw an older teenager watching pornography. I saw in detail a video of a man having sex with a hot girl. The video showed him <laughs> stick his penis inside a girl's vagina. I didn't know anything about sex at the time. I barely even knew what sex was. I was slowly starting to develop sexual feelings for hot girls, but I didn't know what to do with them. To see the video really traumatized me. I had no idea what I was seeing. I um I couldn't imagine human beings doing these things with each other. The sight was shocking, traumatizing, and arousing. And you you'll notice that when he's writing about this, his writing becomes even more mechanical and bizarre and like stilted robot. And it's like, I, oh my god, what the <laughs> hell is it? what world is this? <laughs> Who are you? That makes me wonder if maybe uh, his whole illusion of himself as straight if he's not actually straight is like working through his trauma <laughs> if he's really traumatized yeah it's just like i mean everyone is like scared of sex at first because it's like it's weird and it's carnal and it's like the last like um layer that's like been relatively untouched by human modernization but um it, it's like too animal and too frightening for people to endure but um, like his coping mechanism is not to vanquish nature and tame sex for himself, but rather to become a jealous, uh, scheming World of Warcraft player. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I find that like so unrelatable. I feel like all my life I've been like, like deeply ambivalent about sex. Uh -huh. I, like never like obviously I'm not like asexual or anything, but I don't know. It just like as like always like sort of seems like this like abstract like fact of life. I remember like not like being that shocked when I like found out about it. I don't know what it like says I... about me. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think I'm more on your side, mate. Like the idea of um, for instance, my parents having sex has never grossed me out or anything. And like I think um I don't know, there was like a uh sort of understanding, like if I saw pornography, I was like, oh that's bad. But uh, um it wasn't like it was more like I can't get caught. It wasn't like uh, bad as I was afraid of it. Yeah, I've been talking a little bit about this on the Nymphomaniac episode that's going to come out um, a week after this one does. And I definitely had like some like sexual shame that I felt. But it, at the same time, it wasn't like abject horror or anything like that. And like you, Dean, like I was never like disgusted um, about my parents having sex or anything like that. Um, but this is all quite interesting because it sets the stage for kind of the last portion of the book. Um, and so after he kind of like fails his way to finishing high school and then fails his way through some community college classes, um, he gets to go to Santa Barbara where his life in earnest kind of uh, begins. And this is also where like the um, spikes of actual like violent misogyny start um coming up it's like the last like 40 pages of the book or so but what did you two make of this like end stretch of the text it was an amazing escalation it is crazy <laughs> yeah definitely yeah i feel like kind of the shock value of this if for the most part i was like kind of like indifferent or just kind of like ambiently disgusted for a lot of it but then like the last stretch of the book is just like insanity spiral of hatred and contempt um and i even 
Uh, even Maddie, his friend, who he like uh, said he wasn't attracted to, um, like sets him off when he looks at her Facebook. And um, I think. And then right, you can go. Wait, what did you say? Oh, I said, uh, you can go. Oh, yeah. May, what do you make of this, like, spiral at the end? I don't even know. It's like. So psychedelic. It is psychedelic. Um, and it starts to create he starts to creating like these like ridiculous um fantasies about what he would do when he's like dictator and how he believes yeah. like the world should be ordered. Um yeah, there's like it the all really felt like so contrived. <laughs> yeah, it's really contrived. Um and I remember when he's talking about when he's like I think 18, he would like go to Barnes and Noble and like read biographies and like history. I don't believe that he really did this at all. Um, he doesn't yeah, really wait. Seem... <laughs> What's I mean, that? I thought. Oh, sorry. I mean, I, when I read that, I just like took notes. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, I, I mean, I bought it. I bought it. He was like reading all these books. He was reading kind of self improvement books and stuff, and also yeah, like the, the biographies of dictators. Oh, uh, what I wanted to say about this uh, the last stretch was that I felt like um, he was getting into details that made me. Wonder if he started writing this book like before this part of that, um, when the stretch started, you know, uh, -huh. uh right. Yeah, honestly, I feel like biography reading as a personality type in both like men and women is like such a huge red flag like read a novel i don't know i completely agree i'm okay if you read a celebrity um memoir or autobiography that's fine with me and i read some biographies like what i think i read a few last year but i can't remember anymore oh i read one of marlon brando or like you know it's like but then if you're like i'm reading the biography of stalin because i'm a fascist and i'm going to learn how to be dictator it's just it's like <laughs> you are joking around diva like you're being you're being funny you're being a little girl you're it surprised dolls. me that he self-identified as fascist and like he doesn't have any other kind of like political thoughts about like he's always talking about you know, current events culturally, but he doesn't have any thoughts about the Iraq war and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. But he, he says, like, oh, I care about politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 He, 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 he just has, like, the the, uh, the abstract quality that, like, some people adopt, I guess, of, like, politics, terror about her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, dear. And then, like... Whenever he, there's like one person, I forgot which one it is. It's like one of the James or something or Jamie. I don't remember who, but he's like, I found out that he had some fascist tendencies himself. And we, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Where, like, can you imagine like talking with Elliot Roger about this kind of things? Like, it just seems so, it's so weird. I don't know it what does, to say. It takes him a while to get racist. So maybe he was like talking, like that's what he meant, but he didn't want to say it in the book yet. Yeah, because eventually yeah. he starts really hating Asians. And Latinos mm. and blacks. Yeah. I find his... Well, it's because... It, mm -hmm. This is, like, sort of interesting, is he's, like, so self-aggrandizing, like, so megalomaniacal. But the one, like, point of shame that he feels is about being half Asian. That's, like, the only, like, thing that he, like, feels bad about, which is, like, so interesting to me. Um, yeah, it is really interesting. Dying her hair blonde was another um, bit of... Although, like, cultural 
detritus that was, uh, as you said, uh, compressed into the early section of the book. Yeah. And but yeah, it was. It seemed like early on he admired um, blondes and, and including like blonde men too. And yeah. So that was kind of the. Oh, and uh, you know, even like maybe um, his race also had to do with him being short. So. How short was he? I sh- I like sh- feel like I should have looked this up. Oh, I'm curious to find this out too. I don't think he yeah, was it's... that short though, because he was so taller than girls occasionally, at least. So I mean, he's not a total lost earliest... cause. Yeah. Also, it's oh my god, memory. he's 175 centimeters. That's like five foot nine or five foot eight. Who cares? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, who cares about height anyway? Like, low key. <laughs> okay. Well, his earliest painful memory was not being able to go on a ride. Oh, yeah, not being able to go on the Jurassic Park ride and then crying because he had to go on the E.T. ride instead that he hated. (laughs) And he revisited it later in life and he finally gets to ride it. (laughs) So wild. Um, Yeah, his Asian hatred is fascinating to me because um, I kind of described him earlier as this, like, failure of contemporary social, like, multiculturalism. And, like, he's, like, this idea of... Uh, someone who, like, because of globalization, um, is now someone who cannot function in society by his um, own perspective. And I feel like I've met guys who have chips on their shoulder about being half Asian before, but like in oh, my, I feel, ex- like it's, I feel like it's actually like fairly common. I, I think so like too. Of, like there's a Reddit called like, Asian masculinity that I've heard about. But oh, I've, I've read actually- that before. <laughs> Yeah, because a lot of them go ahead and explain, Dina. You could probably explain it better than that. I think just just the vibe is that if you can say that you're uh, happy with your experience as an Asian male in America, that uh, it'll really like set people off there. That's all I know about it. Well, basically, it's like this um, board where they just like bemoan um, like the mixed race culture um, that has resulted in them, and they feel as if um, like it isn't compatible with like American society. And so they have like a lot of resentment uh, for their parents for having mixed race children. And then they also have like this like striver, like kind of manosphere bodybuilding element as well, where they try to like um, overcompensate. But at the same time, it's like a, it's very doomer tinged. So they all believe that no matter how much they work out, they'll still appear like shrimpy and uh, weak uh-huh. and are just like completely doomed. Um, this is, this is so depressing. I don't know. For the record, here at I'm So Popular, we love Asian men. They're very sexy. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. This like prejudice is like totally baffling to me. Honestly, like I I I, I don't know. I don't even like mean to be like anti-racist or whatever, but I feel like I legitimately do not like see Asian men as like less masculine or. Whatever. No, I don't either. And the thing for me is that one of the reasons this fascinates me so much is because when I was growing up, like my racial perception was that like Asians were just like a different kind of white people. Like I didn't really see them as like that different from like the white people that were around me, and so I kind of just like lumped them in. And honestly, I continued feeling that way until I met like actual. Asian people who are not immigrants to America. And then I was like, okay, you know, there are cultural differences and things, but um, I I feel like Elliot's selection of, of that hatred is just another one of his like trite, meaningless um, moves on the chessboard to uh, deliver himself towards grandiosity and like create his own villain origin narrative. And I think it's one of his least successful ones. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like, realistically, it's probably just like resentment against his mother. <laughs> um, I think so too. There's, there's a part in the story when um, his parents went to take him out of the country into some other place. Do you remember what country that was? Yeah, Morocco, right? Oh, okay. It, it's oh, no, Morocco. I wondered if. Or is I it, if it's I... another M country? I forgot. Yeah, it's well. Probably does Morocco because isn't that where the the stepmom is from? Or do I have this? Like, uh, yeah, I, no, I think it's Morocco. And so I thought that you know, in that moment, even though obviously he still wants a tall blonde woman, he could have experienced a major change. He could have like uh, experienced the suffering of his place in the hierarchy. I guess the one moment uh, that I found that he could have had like actual redemption is funny enough very like um it's it's very chichi pilled which is like going and away to another country <laughs> because he goes to france for like a month to stay with um max the uh the nice friendly 19 year old french boy who does like a homestay um with him and like when he's in france he's like able to like socialize normally and he like goes drinking even though he's just 16 because it's legal there and people like just treat him like a silly American and they don't have like the cultural um, modus operandi to realize him as a scary, wimpy little freak. And I'm like, if he could have, <laughs> if he had just moved and like been the next bat, he probably could have got away with a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's a little bit of a yeah. tangent, but I just remembered that. He moved to a country where people were shorter. Yeah, I mean, he could have come to Asia, but, um, you know, oh well. Um, so gearing up towards the end of the book, he, he starts conceiving the day of retribution, which is such a tacky, stupid title. And is like another one of yeah. those like artistic failures. That's just absolutely revolting. And it has the stinky Dora blanket texture to it for me, day of retribution. He originally wanted to do it on Halloween, um, when people were their most raucous and partying. Um, and when he makes up his plan to kill as many women and like chads as possible to get his retribution, he also decides that he's going to die um, and actualize his life. And there's um, one paragraph I thought was kind of interesting. He writes, the goal would give me five months to plan and prepare five more months of life. But then again, I wouldn't even call it life. The existence <laughs> I've had on this world during the last eight years is anything but life. A feeling of overwhelming dizziness and anxiety swept over me. I was actually going to die. I couldn't believe it. Then I realized that my life was already over anyway. I was never going to lose my virginity. I was never going to experience love and sex. I was never going to have children. This final act of retribution is the only thing I could do. It was very hard to come to terms with this fact. I felt very trapped and lost. Um, but this is like kind of um, a sort of like Mishima thing from him to try and actualize his life and turn it into um, real-time narrative by killing and killing himself. Um, and it's so disheartening and psychedelic when he starts spiraling into the details of it and reaches those pits of paranoia at the end of the book. Yeah, I find it very dark uh, when he describes that. I think, sorry, I didn't get to this part in my a refresher of the book, but mm -hmm. I remember back when I read the book um, that he describes killing his uh, Asian roommates. Mm. Did that happen? Or is that just something that 
Yeah, he talks about it. Because I don't. Oh yeah, and I just found that to be extremely. Uh, I mean, I actually liked Elliot Roger before I started reading the book, but um, uh, you know, when he, uh, like reading this book just made me hate him. Uh huh. Because yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I I'm I'm, I'm glad that. <laughs> I mean, I like him because he's funny. Cleared up that that misconception. (laughs) Yeah, there's like things about him that I find, you know, I don't want to say charming, but it's like the the book is is like such a dumb little puppy at times that it's like, but then really that last stretch of the book is just completely wretched and and condemnable. And I have. You can't stop thinking about killing. No, it's the, the whole book really just like spirals into it nonstop. And it just is like endless drivel of murder um and yeah it's it's deeply unfortunate i i'm curious to know what did you two like get from experiencing this text because it's a really unique experience to go through it and kind of reconcile it with your characters so walking away from it like what does this do for your worldview and your philosophy and your own thoughts um when I like first read this when I was like a teenager, I don't know, I had like a lot of like grandiose thoughts about it. But now I like feel like nothing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> after after like after like a year has passed from like when I first suggested this to like now, I feel like I don't I don't even know what to make of it anymore. What were your grandiose thoughts when you had them? I can't. E- I can't even like remember. I don't know. I was like thinking like thoughts about society. I was like doing like the textual comparison between this and my year of rela- rest and relaxation. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. It really does like just like cast a spell on you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, in the final analysis, you should have just transitioned. Estrogen will like take the edge off. You can like climb up in our matriarchal soul society um (laughs) and like not be angry or horny ever (laughs) yeah that's Uh, something i've thought about too because um natalie Wynn on contrapoints god bless her opium addled soul um (laughs) but she said you know that when she started taking estrogen it like it made her realize that like sex was like this like constant uh, banshee haunting her that was like completely consuming like most of her like daily thoughts I know that's the case for me as well but yeah I guess like um transitioning and giving up on your masculinity entirely is like definitely a way to solve that yeah I don't know if you listen if you are dreading puberty because of some like weird psychological hang-up that you have I can relate to that so <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. Um, what was I gonna? What was I gonna say? But it's like completely true. Like I, I do remember that. Um, when I was sixteen and first like got on hormones, and like it just like feels like jumping into the Arctic Ocean, uh, because of like how much less horny you feel. <laughs> um, like earnestly. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> Um, great. What do you, what do you have to say? What, what say you, Dean? Um, all innocence is destined to be shattered and replaced with brutal reality. No, never mind. That's a quote from the book. That, um, I oh, I wrote that it. down too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was like one thing that was just a nice sequence of words, but, um, okay. So I think my real 
takeaway. I just have feelings like it was very fucked up that he got into World of Warcraft, um, and he was just so caught up in all this like trash American culture. Mm-hmm. And I wish that he could have seen art or something and <laughs> gotten, you know, I just got had some uh, inspiration that wasn't truly. I feel, so... I feel like if he had like seen one piece of like real art or like had like a, even a single profound experience within his like stifling like suburban land nothing reality maybe that would have done something yeah because i've been really you know kind of like pro suburbia and i like i love the idea of like me too like my I was parents, so jealous when my parents moved into the cul-de-sac that they live in now i was like amazed you know it was like this cute neighborhood um, where everyone has like a lovely polished garden and everyone talks to their neighbors and is so friendly. And I thought it was just like the sweetest and like most like aspirational kind of like way to reconcile with the American nightmare. And then when I was reading this, I was like, God damn it. I was, like, yeah. I was trying to yeah, turn truly. a page. No, because I I am a city kid. I grew up in a huge city where I still live to this day. Um and like growing up, I like always had this huge chip on my shoulder about like the like vulgarities of like city living and like how inhumane it is because it like really is and like no child should be exposed to that. But um, and so I like always had this like extreme like jealousy of like all the like I don't know like preppy like rich kids in on in the suburbs, uh, and just like that whole like lifestyle. And like want and like wanting it so badly, um, and like I don't know, because like all my extended family lives in like rural Ohio, mm-hmm. but it is in this like sort of like suburban American Fantasia, and I always had this all. I always had this like for some reason like extreme like nostalgia and yearning for like literally like rural Ohio. I don't know. I thought it was like this magical place growing up, but like. Um, last September, I like went back there, and it was like this moment that I think people often have, where it's like something that you were like n- nostalgic for as a kid. Like now, you now like as an adult, you like realize that it's actually like total trash. <laughs> um, and that's and that's how I felt like when I went to like visit my family uh, last fall. It was just like now, like seeing it through like adult eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh. I like kind of like was able to like see like the negative aspects of it, but I, I do really relate to like the like you're like well, I guess we we like come at it from like opposite angles. You're like yearning for the suburbs from like a cabin in the woods, and I'm like yearning for the suburbs from like like the the city. I guess yeah, it's really interesting, and I think um the the comment that you made about like oh god, if he had only been able to interact meaningfully with the world like one time, and it wasn't just like a mudslide of Game of Thrones and Jurassic Park and World of Warcraft and like N64 games, then there like might've been a chance for him because I mean, in the epilogue, he's so despondent about like the world. I'm not meant to live such a pathetic, miserable life. This is not my place in the world. Um, All of this stuff. He just, he hates it all so much. And it's sad because uh, you do get those moments where he's like looking into the ocean or like staring at the sunset or sitting on the roof of his house and he has like these quiet moments of passive sublimity and it just is such a nightmare that the 
engine of sexuality can take that away from you and boil it all into gross um, suburbia pop culture that's uh, disgusting and then turn you into a monster. And I just, um, I don't know if I feel bad for him, but it is depressing that these conditions exist on Earth. Mm. Mm. Yeah. One thing I wanted to do that I forgot about is Adam, who couldn't join us, did send us a, a pretty lengthy uh, six-minute a speech on what he thought about the book, so we can listen to that together. Let me know if you can hear this. Hey, this is Adam, long-time listener, first-time book club participant. Um, yeah, my thoughts on this book... Uh, tonight I was just thinking about just the inner depths that we all have that aren't really apparent to those around us. Um, and I was thinking about me as a child and, you know, my, around the age of 12, like my fear of death that um, was spurred on by, like, a family member's death, um, and how I became kind of obsessed with death as a kid, um, but how that was sort of unknown to my parents, to all of the adults around me, um, and the way that, yeah, the way that our inner depths our inner lives as kids are often invisible to our parents. Um, and just thinking about Elliot and his relationship with his parents. Um, yeah. And just, I'm sure a lot of what they knew about him would, they would have to learn from reading this and, um, and yeah, it's kind of sad, but it's also like the truth of all of our lives that unless we make art or channel our inner lives into something else, like externalize that, um, a lot of people will never know the kind of depths that we have. Um, and yeah, even, even as adults, you know, I think that a lot of our inner turmoil, our inner drama is unknown to even our closest friends. Maybe I'm projecting. I know that for me that that's true. Um, and journaling and writing and, you know, I make music and yeah, like those are ways that I can express that to other people and in a way that is palatable for them, I guess. Um, or more palatable. Um, yeah, and so this manifesto, this book, I think, kind of made me think about that and just the way, you know, the sort of sad relationship he has with his father. Um, I underline this quote. Um, my father effectively abandoned me at one of my most crucial points in my life, though in fact he was never really present in my life to abandon me in the first place. 
when I think about it, he was always absent from my life. When my whole world took a downward spiral into darkness after I hit puberty, he never made any effort to save me. He just didn't care. Um, and that's really sad. And, you know, those were the times reading this that I felt for him a lot. And, you know, this is a child basically that's writing this and, um, and you can really tell that he desires a relationship with his dad that he never had. Um, and his dad doesn't really seem curious about his inner life, his inner self. Um, which I think is partly why he's writing this whole book, you know? Um, yeah, and it made me think about the kinds of personal philosophies and dramas that we all have inside of us, that everyone has inside of them. Um, and how honest he is in here, even though he's often playing the victim. Um, he is pretty brutally honest about how pathetic he can be and how um, how sad and self-pitying he is um, and all of the stupid, naive, terrible things that he does, he's honest about, um, which is the mark of, you know, a good artist, I think, and a good writer, um, someone <laughs> who is brutally honest about everything that they do um and yeah it's interesting the way that he structures this is sort of in, informed by stuff like world of warcraft and game of thrones and this internal battle that he's waging is takes on this like epic scale that those things have and his personal battle against women and against his father becomes this like mythological one. Um, and that's balanced by all these like quotidian things that he writes about, like getting a cold right before the day of retribution and having to postpone the day because he doesn't want to do it while he has a cold, um, which is very funny. <laughs> and adds this layer to it that's really interesting so anyway um that's all i've got but thank you zach for letting me add this to the book club all right thanks well thank you for your thoughts adam uh it's interesting hearing that kind of like compared with everything else we've talked about today but that kind of makes you want to ask one last question before we adjourn today's meeting and it's if this book and Elliot Rogers' life has become mythological, if it really has actually turned his uh, depth of feeling into something worthwhile, what do you think? I think his videos are kind of the better um, medium through which he became a legend. The book... Uh, there are some, uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure 
many people who know about Elliot Roger, they know about this the moment with his sister where he can hear her having sex. Oh, it's just that the most, <laughs> and that's like the highest, that's the peak of the whole book. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, people should know about some of the moments in this book. Great. Well, what do you think, Mate? Is there a mythology that's been successfully accomplished here? Was it worth it? Um, honestly, uh, even though I suggested this book a year ago, now I feel like there's nothing to be gained. Don't read it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for putting you guys through this. I don't know. I was in like a totally different headspace. Yeah, this is this is what it made me realize is that a year ago versus now, I was in such a hugely different like mental headspace as is like determined by this like litmus test of a text and just like my like reactions to it like then versus now. I don't know um yeah i think well what i'm saying is that insofar as if you care about um elliot roger then you should at least know some of the highlights of this book. yeah i guess like my my point though is that like maybe you shouldn't care about him oh yeah, that's true <laughs> i, I think know. that he has not successfully accomplished a mythology um and i've said some kind of wild things in the past about how i think like 9 11 is like one of the most you know, crucial and pivotal pieces of like public art in history. I do not think that Elliot Roger has successfully um, traversed the distance from the interior anguish that he feels to a successful public expression. And I'm not sure if that means that I think this book should be read or not read. Uh, I am glad that I have it under my belt, and I'm glad that we got to talk about it on this strange little experiment of a radio program that I host, because I'm not quite yeah. sure how it fits in with like the logic of everything else we've talked about so far, but it does feel like um, this grave warning of just how bad things can be uh, if you fail in your life to live expressively and passionately and become a uh, victim to the systems of nature and society surrounding you. So I guess it's worth that something in that way, but I'm not sure myself either. <laughs> yeah, truly. This is like the ultimate, like those who don't fight won't survive. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I think like next time around, I'll probably just like choose like a Greek tragedy or something. I think you'd like those, but I hadn't read any of those a year ago. <laughs> Well, thank you for humoring us a whole year later. Um, the pace of book club is going to increase again. Um, as yeah. listeners of the show know, I was having a pretty hard uh, run of things for a few months there. And scheduling a book club about a mass shooting was not immediately on my priorities. <laughs> we did it together. I'm really glad we did. And mm -hmm. please join us next time for book club because we'll be discussing The Kite Runner, which is the most random selection that someone threw in there that is like so like What you, what even is that? It's like a book about Muslims or something. Crazy. Who even who's even like, like I'm like obsessed. Book book I'm like obsessed to know who made us read um nightwood like who is that i know like, i love the idea of these like secret books that we get just stabbed in the throat with like juna barnes and now we're it's, like so, it's like so interesting it's like our it's like it's like our like little window into like the psyche of 
the average unsupopular listener who's <laughs> like not on the Discord. <laughs> like, who are all you people out there like listening to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to read The Kite Runner because it's like a middle 2000s like mom book club kind of thing. It's like a, a yeah. book that my mother would read for her book club. And I cannot wait to like find a uh, new experience to be shared there. But yes, I, like I said, please join us on the Patreon, patreon.com slash I'm so popular. Join us in the Discord from there where uh, we organize this and um, listen to Samantha talk about her day-to-day life. And... <laughs> some other things occasionally um but that's all for now thank you everyone those who don't fight won't survive Ciao.